Well, how you been enjoying the start to 2024? I hope you're feeling encouraged this morning, especially as we hear uh, so many of these stories. How many were with us for New Year uh, when we had our service? If you missed it, watch it back. I mean, it was long, but it was great. <laughs> there were so many fantastic stories, and we've got more to come. Um, so we're going to be fitting those in over uh, the coming weeks, as Jim said. Um, but I hope you're feeling expectant at the start of 2024. Who's feeling expectant? That's a good number of hands. I'm hoping by the end of today we'll have a few more hands in the air that we're feeling expectant. Uh, we met as a, a leadership team on Monday and, uh, and we were just, I think it was Graham that kind of uh, mentioned the phrase that, that just feels like we're in exciting times. That was the, the tone of our conversation as we met as a leadership team. And we've been so encouraged by your readiness as a church family to embrace this thing of stretching forwards. And we've been so encouraged by all of these testimonies, all of these stories uh, that we've been hearing as we've begun to do that. And we want to give God all of the glory uh, for that, Uh, all that he's already been doing. And we have this great expectancy that there is so much more to come, that there is so much more that God wants to do amongst us. And that's why we want to continue to be stretching forwards in 2024. That's why Jim was talking uh, to us about that last week. And sometimes as we stretch, those stretches might be warm-up stretches. Sometimes they might be the kind of stretches where we're in the middle of active exertion. I know we've got a few runners uh, in the church and you have to stretch your muscles as you're undertaking that activity. But sometimes those stretches might be more like cool-down stretches. Uh, Whatever those stretches might be, all of the stretching serves the purpose of conditioning us and making us stronger. And along the way, we want to do our best as a a leadership to keep riding the wave of what God is doing. Uh, Not swimming ahead of it, not lagging behind it, but staying in the place where God is moving, keeping in step with the Spirit. And so this morning as we uh, come to, or as I come to share, what I want to try to do, I want to introduce for us a, a series that we're going to uh, spend the next four weeks or so making our focus that we're going to call Dwell. And as I come to introduce that series, I want to try to kind of just pull a few different threads together, help orient us, give us our, our bearings, help us set our focus together for the weeks ahead. And as I do that, my my central encouragement that I want to bring to us, and I'll explain this a little bit later on, but my central encouragement is that I want us to be encouraged to ask our audience. I'll explain that as we go. To begin with, I want to rewind. Uh, I want to rewind back to November Um, I was in the middle of doing some sermon preparation up in my office and I felt like the Holy Spirit began to speak to me to put, put that down for a moment. And I put it down and I came and spent some time just prayer walking around the inside of the church. And as I'm prayer walking around the church, I'm asking God this question, God, what do you want to do? What is it that you want to do here in our midst 
amongst us. And I, I want you to know, I already had this draft series planned out for the start of the new year. And as I'm prayer walking around the inside of the church, I just feel like the Lord says to me, not yet. Not yet. Wait for the wave. Stay with the wave. And so I want you to know, we put that series plan on ice. I'm sure we'll use it at some point, but we put it on ice. And I began having these conversations with Jim where we're talking about having base camp moments in the middle of our stretches. You know, the kind of thing where you acclimatize to a a level of altitude if you're climbing a mountain. Having these base camp moments in our stretching. Times where we are practicing what we've already been looking at. Times where we're outworking what God's been speaking to us. Times where we are growing into our stretch zone and we are turning our stretch zone into our comfort zone so that we are ready to stretch forward again. And so as we enter 2024, we have this sense of the Lord calling us to dwell, to dwell to take time not just to talk about worship that's fit for a king, but to practice worship that is fit for a king, to imitate the heart of David. As, he, as we find in Psalm 27 verse 4, David writes this, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We want to imitate something of of David's heartbeat there because there's this beautifully authentic hunger in David's heart that I think is just so precious to the Lord. And so as we take time to dwell in the coming weeks, I believe the Lord wants to fuel something of David's hunger within our hearts too. Now one of the brilliant stories, one of the brilliant testimonies that we heard if you were with us at New Year's Eve was from Judith. Is Judith here this morning? Maybe. Might be in the other room. Um, But Judith had emailed me back in uh, November and uh, she had shared this testimony off the back of some of our 10 talks uh, Phil Burden had been speaking. And just a wonderful story of how God was meeting with her. And when she emailed me, she said this in her email. She said, it's been a while since I have had such a significant personal encounter with God as I experienced on Monday morning. And it's made me long for more life-changing encounters with Jesus in my own life, but also in the lives of others. I found that so encouraging, so encouraging to hear what God had been doing in Judith, but also so encouraging to hear hunger being stirred, hunger for more being fueled. And I wonder this morning, do we find ourselves hungering for more? Do we find ourselves longing for more? So I spent a little bit of time just encouraging Judith to prepare to come and share that, to encourage us. Um, A few weeks later, um, we were having a a service, uh, and Judith came to see me towards the end of the service that I was leading, and she shared this word with me. 
Um, and at the time, I thought, you know, this is a great word. We were right at the end of the service. And I said to Judith, I think your word is brilliant. And I think it speaks forwards to the new year. Uh, and I want to share, I said, can you put it in an email for me? So she emailed it to me. And I wanted just to share the beginning of what she put in an email to me. She said this. She said, this morning we sang, your presence is an open door. And over the last two weeks, I've been pondering on this theme. I felt that God is saying that we don't just have an open door, but we have a personal invitation from the Lord God Almighty to linger in his presence. I thought that was such a good word. And she went on to give this brilliant illustration that I don't have time for. I'm sure she'd love to tell you if you wanted to ask her about it. A brilliant illustration relating to her work um, and just what a privilege and an honour it is to have that kind of personal invitation to an audience with our King. And that word felt so well aligned to me. Even in that email, she, she included a number of the same verses that I'd already started drafting into a new series outline for Dwell. And this morning, I, I wonder how we feel about that personal invitation. I wonder this morning what our reaction is to a lot of the testimonies and a lot of the stories that we've been hearing. And I've got a little picture that I want to show us this morning. If you've ever been involved with Youth Alpha, you may have come across this picture before. Do we have it to go up on the screen? It's a picture of a swimming pool. Um, and they, they use this at Alpha occasionally. Um, but I want us to imagine this morning that the pool represents significant personal encounter with the Lord like Judith was describing. Now, I'm not going to suggest that there's a right place or a wrong place uh, to put yourself in this picture, but I just want to encourage us to contemplate for a moment which kind of characters in this picture we might most feel like we identify with. You don't have to tell anybody. I mean, as I look around this, this picture, you've got, uh, I, I noticed the, the chap who's wearing armbands sort of loosely dipping his toe in the water of this personal encounter with the Lord. You've got a, a chap over here who seems to be full in the water, feeling completely out of his depth and possibly panicking uh, a little bit. Uh, you've got a guy ready to launch himself in off the diving board, somebody swimming, someone doing handstands in the water. You've got a, a lady over here who seems to be just basking uh, in, in the pool, enjoying the water. But then you've got some other characters that I, uh, I noticed. I mean, you've got some ladies at the back there who are, who are chatting, absorbed in their own conversation, probably blissfully aware of what's going on in the water. You've got a, a chap sort of checking himself out in the mirror, absorbed with his own image um, and his own physique. You've got these chaps over here in, in very smart suits who look like they're, uh, they're very legalistically assessing the conditions of the pool, uh, maybe evaluating other people's swimming and how well they're doing it, uh, but not in the water at all. But there's a couple of characters that particularly catch my attention, uh, and one of them is this, this man over here who's holding the mop who to me, he, just, he looks like he, he would far rather be in the pool but there's the constraints of his role and his responsibility uh, of the job that he's meant to be doing, and he's kind of stuck standing behind that. 
Uh, and then you have this lady over here who, who's got a towel around her and kind of looks like she feels frozen out on the sidelines. Like she's, she's out in the cold and would much rather be in the pool. She's looking at everybody else's experience but feels isolated and left out. I wonder what our reaction is this morning. I wonder when we might most identify. But wherever we might most identify, wherever we might place ourselves in that picture this morning, I want to encourage us that we have a personal invitation. You have a personal invitation. I have a personal invitation to an audience with the King of glory. During our Worship Fit for a King series, I asked the question at the start of the series, I said, I wonder have we come intent on seeking an audience with the King? Have we come expecting to meet with the King? And it was so good to hear Paddy's story at New Year of how his level of expectation had just shifted and how he'd had this amazing personal encounter with Jesus. And today I want to ask a different question. I want to ask the question, what will you do and what will I do with my audience? What will you do with your audience? What will I do with my audience? What will we do in the presence of the King? See, I think worship is powerful, but worship is not the end game. Worship is powerful, but as we seek God's presence, as we seek an audience with the King, we position ourselves, we become positioned to present our requests to God. And as we prepare to dwell in the coming weeks, I want us to be encouraged by the stories that we've already heard. And I want to encourage us to be bold in asking our audience, bringing our requests to the Lord. Now I want to take a, a few minutes this morning to look, an ex- look in the Bible at an example of somebody who had an audience with Jesus. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 46 uh, to 52, and we're picking up the story of a man called Bartimaeus. Uh, Many of us uh, may have heard of Bartimaeus. I want us to look briefly at his story this morning. It says this. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately... 
He received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love this story so much. I love the story. There's such a significant personal encounter for Bartimaeus. And you have to believe that at the end of this story, there's a whole bunch of people involved in this situation whose faith just has to be bigger, right? This guy who was blind is now seeing, he's walking along the road with the crowd, he's following after Jesus. There must be a whole bunch of people whose faith is just bigger than before this occurred. And there's so much that we could say about this passage, but I briefly want us to notice three things this morning. Number one, I want us to notice that Bartimaeus had intently sought an audience with Jesus. I want us to notice that he had practiced what we'd been talking about in terms of worship that's fit for a king. That while he's sat at the roadside in his regular begging spot, sat in the midst of his troubled circumstances, in the midst of his destitution, he hears that Jesus is on his road. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard stories, he's heard legends, no doubt. But Jesus is on his road and this shout erupts from his lips. And as he calls out, Jesus, son of David, I want us to realise this morning, this is a shout of praise. This title, Son of David, it's like he's saying, Jesus, you are the descendant of David. You are the prophesied one. You are the long-awaited deliverer, the the promised Messiah. You are the awaited saviour, the anointed one who will rule and reign with all power and all authority forever and ever. Amen? Amen. He's calling it out. He's practicing highest honor, if you want to use our language. He's practicing, I mean, you've got to say this is pretty extravagant expression, right? (laughs) To use the language that we've been talking about. Nobody is going to silence this guy's praise. And as he calls out in his shout, he then says, have mercy on me. And I want us to realise this morning that in that cry, in that call, there's this posture of humility. That as he calls out, there's an acknowledgement somewhere within him of, I'm a a sinner. I'm I'm a sinful, broken man, Jesus. That within this cry, there's a there's a recognition. I don't deserve anything better than what I've already got. There's an acknowledgement, there's a a sense that he knows that his only real hope is mercy. His only real hope is the mercy of God. See, in our language, he's practicing reverent submission and there's this picture of total dependence. And there's something in this man's shout Something in this man's shout that draws the attention of Jesus, that that captures something of the affection of Jesus. And Jesus is moved. He's moved by his faith, I believe. Moved by his hunger, moved by his persistence and perseverance. 
And he calls to Bartimaeus to come near. Second thing I want us to notice is that Bartimaeus jumped at the invitation to an audience with Jesus. Now the truth is, for all of us, there will always be things to divert us from a significant personal encounter with Jesus. For Bartimaeus, there's the rebukes of people in the crowd. There's the crowd trying to suppress him, trying to get him to be quiet. Maybe even some of the disciples of Jesus speaking to him in that way as well. There's this narrative of a voice speaking into Bartimaeus' life saying, hey, listen, you're not worthy. Who do you think you are to call out to Jesus? There's this voice saying, hey, listen, you're insignificant. You're undeserving. Hey, Bartimaeus, you're out of line. Would you just pipe down? Nobody wants to hear from you. But when the people tried to silence Bartimaeus, what did he do? He just, he just turned up his praise, didn't he? They tried to get him to be quiet. He said, no, I'm, I'm just going to turn the volume up. I'm just going to take my praise a little bit higher because I don't need to hear these voices. I just need to give glory to God. For Bartimaeus, the reality would have been that among his very few possessions, one of the things that he owned was a cloak. In the middle of his destitution, this cloak would have kept him warm and it would have kept him dry. Probably some commentators say he would have sort of spread this cloak as he sat down on the floor and it would have been the thing that people dropped coins into. He would have gathered them up in his cloak, perhaps. And probably Bartimaeus is battling this, this narrative. What if nothing happens? What if I go to Jesus and I'm still blind? What if I come away and now I'm not only blind and destitute, but I can't find my cloak? But when Jesus calls him closer, he throws off his cloak. Throws off, there's this picture there of just throwing off anything that could hinder him, any sort of wind resistance, anything that might have put some drag upon him. He says, I'm just, I'm just going to throw that off. I'm not going to be held back by that. I'm not going to cling to something that represents the destitution and the desperation of my circumstance. I'm losing that. And I'm running after Jesus. See, for us, maybe we find the same voice of the enemy whispering to us in those moments where there's this invitation to personal significant encounter with Jesus. Maybe we have this voice, maybe we have this narrative that says, hey, listen, you don't need to jump up like Bartimaeus did. You don't need to jump up. You don't have to go to Jesus. You don't have to do that. You, you could just stay on the roadside. You could, you could do it later. We could procrastinate, couldn't we? We could put that off for another day. Hey, listen, you don't need to pray with someone else. You could, you could just pray. You could go home. You could pray on your own. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with praying on our own. But when we pray on our own, we don't have the opportunity to harness the promise of the power of agreeing with somebody else in prayer where Jesus says, if two of you agree about something, it's done for you by my Father in heaven. 
Maybe it's the narrative that says, hey, listen, this, this moment right here, this, this response, it's, it's not quite for you. It's not quite for you. Maybe we've been in those moments where we've heard somebody talking and it's like, well, the preacher didn't utter the magic bingo word that I had in my head, so it's probably not for me. They've described 95% of how I'm feeling and what I think God is saying to me, but, but they missed 5%, and so it's probably not for me today. I'll just, I just leave that for another moment. Maybe it's the, the narrative in our head that says, listen, if you, if you respond in this moment, if you ask someone else to pray for you, you you're just going to look a bit weak. You, you're just going to look a little bit weak. People are just going to think less of you. They're going to think that you don't have it together. Why would you do that? Maybe sometimes we find the narrative is one that says, listen, don't bother it's, it's just not worth it. You've been down this road before. You've prayed about this stuff before. You've experienced disappointment before. It's just not going to work. It's better if you just don't. It's better if you just sit in your seat because if we're honest, you're just going to look stupid, aren't you? You're just going to look a bit of a fool. So we all have these voices of the enemy trying to divert us from the significant personal encounters with Jesus because he knows how powerful they are. He's not bothered about the people sitting on the roadside. He just wants to stop the people jumping off and throwing off their cloaks. Maybe when we find we have those same voices whispering in our ears, maybe we can make some choices where we're just going to Resolve, we're going to turn up our praise. We're just, we're just going to go up from nine. We're going to take it to 10. If they're still trying to keep us quiet, maybe we go up to 11. Maybe as we hear those voices, we just resolve, I'm going to, I'm going to throw off my cloak. So I don't want to hold on to any of that. I'm going to throw that off. I'm going after this invitation to a personal encounter with Jesus too. Third thing, briefly, I want us to notice this morning is that Bartimaeus asked boldly during his audience with Jesus. As he finds himself standing before Jesus, hearing the very voice of Jesus of Nazareth, the prophesied one, the anointed one who will rule and reign forever with all power and all authority. He finds himself standing before him. Jesus asks him this question. He, he prompts him. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus says, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm listening. Bartimaeus, you have your audience. And I want to know what you want to ask. I want to hear your request. I want to hear your prayer. I want to hear your petition. I want to know what you will ask. You see, it's a, it's a question that only Bartimaeus could answer. No one else could answer this question for him. It's a question that Bartimaeus had to answer according to the measure of his faith. What he was ready to boldly ask. And so I think in this moment, Bartimaeus is stretching his faith. He's never asked anyone else this before in his entire life. 
He says, right now, I'm going to stretch my faith. I've resisted the suppression. I found this audience with Jesus. I'm not going to let anything hold me back right now. I'm going to ask the biggest, boldest thing I can ask. So he stretches his faith and he asks his audience. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I want to see. That's my petition. That's my prayer. That's my ask. I want to see. Now, perhaps for some, we can find that we struggle to reconcile the, even the idea of the goodness of God with the badness of our situations. It's the age-old question uh, that tends to kind of circulate. How can bad things happen to good people? How can a good God let bad things happen? Maybe we struggle with that. Maybe we wrestle with that. But for Bartimaeus, I want us to notice that the very problems that could have kept him away were the very things that he brought to Jesus. The very things that could have kept him feeling out in the cold, feeling victim to a a victim mentality, feeling unloved, unseen, unheard. Those very things he made a reason to encounter Jesus. So I want to finish with just a few thoughts this morning. See, Bartimaeus had an undoubtedly significant personal encounter with Jesus. He didn't have it sat on the roadside, sat licking his wounds in his circumstances, but he had it stood in the presence of Jesus. For Bartimaeus, there came this point where he had to jump up, and where he had to throw off his cloak, and he had to choose to come near to Jesus. Luke chapter 19, we find another brilliant example. Uh, We read the story of Zacchaeus having his audience with Jesus as he climbs up a tree to, to see over the crowd. And in his story, I see the reality was testimony doesn't grow in trees. Testimony doesn't grow in trees. It grows when we hear the voice of God and we climb down out of our tree, we get out of our seat where we are able to have a vantage point, we get out of our spectating posture and we actually come and open the door to our home. We actually open the door to our hearts, to our situations, to our troubles, to our pain. We actually get a little bit vulnerable with Jesus. We risk not being able to find our cloak for the sake of better gain in the goodness of God. And we boldly ask Jesus in. And you know, this morning, I believe God wants to fire a hunger in our hearts. I believe God wants to to fire a hunger in our hearts to come near to him. I believe God is asking us the same question that he asked to Bartimaeus. What do you, what do you want me to do for you? 
And as we set out to dwell over the coming weeks, as we hear these wonderful testimonies and there'll be more to come of the goodness of God, let's allow it to encourage us. Let's allow it to encourage us to take whatever might be going on in our life and make it a reason to encounter Jesus. Let's, let's take it as an encouragement to stretch our faith and to boldly ask our audience. I want to pray in just a moment. Maybe the band would like to come up. I want to finish with this verse of scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15 says this. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, not something, not this thing, if we ask anything according to his will, and let me just pause there, pause there and say, we don't need to pray in a way where we simply just preface every prayer we ever, ever pray with, if it's your will. We can make a habit of praying the kind of prayer that says, God, change my heart and make it like yours. Because if my heart is like yours, I have your will in my heart. And I can pray with confidence. He says, ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him.